Welcome to Bradley's Micro Board Review, where we try to make your board's review for microbiology a little less painful. But, I mean, we're not magicians or anything. This still sucks. Tuberculosis has been a constant nuisance for humans for as long as we've had a cough. That might be an exaggeration. It is caused by the atypical bacterium, Mycobacterium tuberculosis. It is transmitted through contaminated respiratory droplets from patients that have an activated or reactivated infection. Mycobacterium tuberculosis is an acid-fast organism, which means that it contains mycolic acid, which makes it difficult to gram stain. It prefers to infect alveolar macrophages and likes to replicate inside these cells. The first time someone is infected with Mycobacterium tuberculosis, they are said to have primary tuberculosis. The patients will present with a bloody productive cough, fever, night sweats, unintended weight loss, and anorexia. Chest x-rays will show consolidations and possibly cavitary lesions at the bottom or middle lobes of the lungs. You might also see hilar lymphadenopathy. The combination of lower lung consolidations and hilar lymphadenopathy is called the GON complex. Sometimes the patients are able to fight off and eliminate the infection. Other times the bacteria are able to force the macrophages to form granulomas, especially within the lungs. If this happens, the patient is said to have latent tuberculosis. Granulomas are formed when the body is unable to eliminate an infection, so instead it walls off the organism in an attempt to contain the spread. On the periphery of the granuloma are CD4-positive T-cells, which constantly secrete interferon gamma, which helps to activate the infected macrophages into the M1 phenotype. The macrophages constantly attempt to fight off the infection and are unable to and die. Because of this, the structure is driven by the action of the T-cells. This is considered a type 4 hypersensitivity reaction. Mycobacterium tuberculosis has a few important virulence factors to help start the formation of a granuloma. The first is cord factor, which helps the bacteria form into serpentine clumps. The virulence factor tuberculin also helps in the formation of a granuloma. The next is sulfatide, which prevents the phagosomal lysosomal fusion to prevent macrophages from digesting the organism. Granulomas are incredibly good at containing the infection, but the pro-inflammatory response has to stay at a high level. If the inflammatory response is reduced for any reason, it can disrupt this response and the granuloma can dissolve. The infection will then be released to infect the body again. If this happens in tuberculosis, it's said to be either secondary tuberculosis or reactivation of tuberculosis. Patients will typically present with cavitary lesions at the apices of the lungs. Tuberculosis can also disseminate into basically any other organ and begin forming granulomas and organ dysfunction in those organs. This is called miliary tuberculosis. To diagnose tuberculosis, there are a variety of methods with advantages and disadvantages. If you're first working up a patient with possible tuberculosis exposure, the fastest test is the purified protein derivative test, which is where you inject some tuberculin into the skin of patients. 
if they have already been exposed to the bacterium or they've been given the BCG vaccine, they will form a wheel and flare reaction, which is a visualization of that type 4 hypersensitivity response. You should also perform a chest x-ray, which will allow you to visualize the extent of the damage in the lung and the possible formation of cavities. A chest x-ray is not enough to definitively diagnose TB, so you have to confirm the diagnosis with another method. It also doesn't tell you whether your disease is active, latent, primary, or secondary. You can take a sputum sample, smear it on a slide, and stain it with carbol fusion staining, which is the name of the stain that can detect acid-fast organisms. This method is relatively fast, but it doesn't give you any more information on the condition of your patient. You can also take a sputum sample and culture it on Lowenstein Jensen auger. This auger has penicillin and quinolones, which prevents the growth of gram-negative and gram-positive organisms, and is therefore selective for mycobacterium tuberculosis. This will also give you the ability to test the organism for susceptibility to antibiotics, but culture is very slow. Treatment is prolonged and complicated. Penetrating those dense granulomas and getting antibiotics past that mycolic acid is difficult. Treatment is going to depend on the susceptibility testing, but most likely involves four or more antibiotics. After you started treatment, you can monitor the infectiveness of the treatment via chest x-ray. Now let's take all that knowledge and bring it to the boards. A 28-year-old female presents to the hospital for a persistent fever and cough that has recently begun to be bloody for the past four weeks. Past medical history is significant for a diagnosis of systemic lupus erythematosus for the past two years and has been taking prednisone for the last two months to treat some of the flares. It also reveals a positive purified protein derivative test five years ago. Further questioning revealed that over the last four weeks, she experienced unintended weight loss of 15 pounds, nausea, lethargy, and intermittent confusion and dizziness. Physical examination reveals a supple neck, no lesions, rashes, or ulcerations. Chest radiography reveals opacities with cavernous lesions in the right lower lobe. Which of the following laboratory findings would confirm the suspected diagnosis? A. Negative PPD test. B. Black colony growth on telluride auger. C. Growth on Lowenstein-Jensen auger. D. Blue-green growth on nutrient auger. First, diagnose the patient. This patient is presenting with a persistent fever, hemoptysis, weight loss, anorexia, and mental status changes. She is not likely having meningitis because the neck was not stiff. She is on anti-inflammatories for her comorbidity, which makes her immunocompromised. Chest radiography reveals consolidations and cavernous lesions and a history of a positive purified protein derivative test. This is highly suggestive of tuberculosis. Choice A, typically you would see a positive purified protein derivative test or a PPD test in patients with tuberculosis, but even this wouldn't confirm your suspicion. 
that she uh, currently has tuberculosis, since this just indicates that she has encountered it in the past, which we already know because she has a history of positive PPD test. Choice B, growth on telluride auger would be more suggestive of Carinobacterium diphtheriae, which doesn't mas- match her um, presentation at all. Choice C, Lowenstein-Jensen auger has antibiotics to prevent the growth of any organism except Mycobacterium species. It is the gold standard test for tuberculosis, although it does take a while to acquire. Choice D, production of a blue-green pigment on nutrient auger is associated with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. Mycobacterium tuberculosis isn't known for producing any pigment. Therefore, the correct answer is C, growth on Lowenstein-Jensen auger. You can find our study calendar, a guide on how to study microbiology specifically for the boards, our contact email address, and references used to make this episode at thebradleylab.wordpress.com. If you found an error or would like to discuss any of this information, please leave us a voice message in the show notes. If you appreciated this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend. This podcast was written and edited by me, Jillian Bradley. See you tomorrow.